0: and closing theme is by midnight syndicate for more dark instrumental music like it visit www.midnightsyndicate.com or find them on youtube spotify apple or alexa
1: true crime stories are discussed in this podcast which may contain graphic and disturbing content listener discretion is advised what's up and welcome back to freshly brewed noir i'm jennifer and i'm summer And this is episode 29, Pam Hupp and the Murder of Betsy Faria. Excellent job. Why, thank you. (laughs) Tried to work on those pronunciations. Are you ready for this one? I'm ready, yeah. I have heard about this one, but I don't know all the details. Because you
0: haven't seen the Dateline special, have you? Nope. Or the thing that's out now, the series about her? No. With Renee Zellweger. Oh, I I didn't know that. She was in that. Yes, we'll get into that too then. Okay. Have you watched it? Yes, I have. All right. Watched the whole thing. I binged it this weekend. Very nice. Mm -hmm. So you are well informed. I'm ready. And I read a book on it called Bone Deep Untangling the Betsy Faria Murder Case by Charles Bosworth Jr. And it was actually co-authored by Russ Faria's defense attorney, Joel Schwartz. Oh, so the husband's... Defense attorney co-authored the book. Wow. Yeah.
1: So you know it's legit information then. Exactly. So many sources. Oh, lots
0: of sources. <laughs> online sources, book sources. Lots of it.
1: I love it. Okay, well, I am ready to dive into this one.
0: On December 27th, 2011, in Troy, Missouri, Russ Faria stopped and picked up some fast food at nine o nine p.m. And then he arrived home at 9.38 p.m. from a three-hour game night at a friend's house. He had a bag of dog food that his wife had asked him to pick up earlier that day, and as he walked up to the front porch, he noticed that their dog was outside and then that the door was unlocked. Upon entering his home and setting down the bag of dog food, he saw his wife, Betsy, lying in the family room by their couch. Her twisted body was covered in blood and there was a large slice in her arm and a knife still impaled in her neck. Oh, the knife was still in her neck when he yes, saw her? Yes, yes. Oh, what a scene. You should know that Betsy had recently received a diagnosis of terminal cancer And had previously suffered from bouts of depression and had on more than one occasion stated that she was going to kill herself. So she had been struggling with some mental health issues due to the diagnosis.
1: That's really tough. I mean, to have a cancer diagnosis, I couldn't even fathom what that feels like. And
0: to have a terminal one too.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then she's dealing with depression. That's a battle
0: in itself. Yes. And to add that on. So Russ, obviously, he's assuming the worst had come true, right? That she had actually followed through with committing suicide. That way? Well, all he saw when he came in was a knife in her neck and a slit on like close to her forearm, kind of like maybe she had tried to cut her arm and, you know, bleed out or something.
1: I mean, stabbing yourself in the
0: neck doesn't sound like something that is possible but it doesn't but if you aren't very familiar with what people may do to kill themselves and somebody you love is saying that they want to commit suicide you walk in on a scene like that your first thought may have been well they tried to do it or they did it okay possibly
1: possibly yeah and those were the only two wounds that were
0: visible to him that's all he could see he just saw a bunch of blood he saw the slice in her arm and then he saw the knife still in her neck Okay. So he goes immediately and calls 911. He was extremely distraught on the phone and told the 911 operator that his wife had killed herself and then he gave them their address. When the police arrived, they noticed that Russ didn't have any blood on him at all. The first person to examine the body from the fire department felt for a pulse and couldn't find one and noted how cold and stiff the body appeared. When he tried to lift up Betsy's finger... He noticed that her finger wouldn't move, but that the entire arm raised up when he lifted up her finger, indicating that rigor mortis had set in, which usually takes two to three hours after death. The blood under her head, on the carpet, appeared to be coagulating, which also supported his belief that she had died two to three hours earlier.
1: Okay, so are they immediately suspicious of him because he doesn't have blood
0: on him? Right, so his wife Betsy had blood everywhere everywhere. And he didn't have a drop on him. So to the police, that seemed suspicious. But he said that he walked in, set the bag of dog food down, and then he looked and saw his wife laying in a pool of blood, blood all over her, and a knife in her neck, and he just went straight to call 911. That was his first impulse. Yeah.
1: I mean, I feel like it's a lose-lose situation. Like, even if he went and, like, touched her uh-huh. then and Then he'd thought... have
0: blood on him. Yeah. Right. So, um- So either you're damned if you do, you're
1: damned if you don't. Yeah. And him being the husband,
0: you know. You always look to the spouse first, yes. (laughs) At 9.51 p.m., right after the fire department arrived, paramedics were at the home and one of them put a blanket around Russ, who was outside on the front porch, visibly upset and in disbelief of what he had just seen. The paramedics confirmed what the fire department had thought. Betsy had been dead for some time and there was nothing they could do now. After the paramedics left, the police brought in a forensics team And they took pictures of everything around the body and in the home and noticed that it appeared as though Betsy was sitting on the couch right before she was attacked. It doesn't appear that she was sexually assaulted, though, since she was fully clothed and she was wearing socks, with one sock partially off, so they think that could have been a potential sign of a struggle. Yeah, I can see that. There was also an oddly placed pillow in the living room. It was kind of, like, wedged up by what looked like a treadmill it was like sitting on top of the treadmill something weird
1: do they think that happened during the
0: struggle they don't know but that was in one of the pictures This like oddly placed pillow okay I... but it'll it'll kind of come into play later on oh we find out about this pillow <laughs> we, we hear some things about the pillow with a knife protruding from her neck and clearly multiple stab wounds the police start an official investigation they thought they also saw and this is so sad it'll make you sad they thought they saw a A paw print on, like, her hip from, like, a bloody one. Like, the dog may have come over to look at her or be like, what's wrong? So We had
1: a a little dog. It wasn't
0: a small dog. It was a larger-sized dog. But, yeah, she had a dog. (sighs) So, doesn't that break your heart? Yeah, it does. So, during the search of the home, tossed casually in Russ's closet, but in plain view, were Russ's house slippers, which had smudges of blood on them. Mm. Well. I can see how that
1: would look suspicious. <laughs>
0: okay. Well, there also appeared to be some blood smears on the light switch plate in the master bedroom near the closet. There was also a baseball cap that he had worn, which had a stain on the inside, like near the crown. Not a big stain, but just like maybe a small smudge of blood.
1: Okay. Like, And do we think this was like strategically
0: placed or... Mm, I think you'll know more about that in a little bit.
1: (laughs) Okay, okay. But were there fingerprints?
0: No fingerprints, no. Okay. Swabs were taken in the bathroom, and they took several towels and washcloths for further examination. The police seized basically all the electronics from the home. They also processed his truck and then installed a hidden GPS transmitter in case they needed to track his car later. They did a luminol test in the truck, which produced no signs of blood. There was also an Arby's bag from Lake St. Louis with a receipt for $3.01 for two Junior Cheddar Melt roast beef sandwiches. It had a timestamp on it of 9.09 p.m. on December 27th, so that day. Okay,
1: so I mean, that solidifies his alibi, right?
0: You would think, yes, but let's just wait. But it does not, okay. (laughs) Now that you bring up the alibi, so since he called 911 at 9.40, how could he have left his friends, picked up his dinner arrived home around 9.30 p.m. and killed his wife in less than 10 minutes with no blood on his clothes. True. And where would all the blood be that he cleaned up to? And didn't they say that she had been dead for a while at that point? That's what the paramedics and then the first responder, the fire department, also said that. That it looks like she had been dead for two to three hours, possibly. So within that window, that only gave him... 10 minutes. So he was at his friends that night with four other guys, and they do a game night, I guess, every yeah. week. And so this was his game night, and he was with his friends. So he
1: had them a good to al- back him oh, up.
0: Sounds like he has a great alibi, right? Yes. yes. Well, you'll see. Oh, gosh. So according to the initial findings of the paramedics, he should be in the clear, is what we're thinking. Russ told the police that her good friend Pam had dropped her off at home that evening So the police went to see Pam the next morning. And what did Pam have to say? Well, (laughs) she had a lot to say. Three hours worth. How? Uh, When the investigators arrived at Pam's house, she answered the door with wet hair and a robe. She spoke to them for three hours during a recorded interview about how long she had known Betsy, about 11 years, and that she saw her almost daily. The day of Betsy's murder, Pam had planned to join Betsy at her chemo session that day, and then she drove back to her place to have dinner with her husband, after which she left and drove to Betsy's mom's home to pick her up around 5.15 p.m. to take Betsy back home. So she goes all the way to visit her for her chemo treatment, drives all the way back home, then goes all the way to Betsy's mom's house to pick up Betsy to bring her back to her house keep in mind Betsy had told her I have a ride but Pam insisted on picking her up
1: oh and so so she was basically with her all day
0: not all day Betsy had had a friend coming in from out of town that was actually with her during the chemo treatment too Bobby and so Betsy and Bobby were at the chemo treatment and then Pam shows up but then Pam leaves and then Pam comes back later and this is the day the of... day of yes Pam lets them know that Betsy would stay at her mom's most weekdays. The police asked why she would stay there instead of with Russ at their home. And Pam told them that she didn't like staying there because of Russ and that Russ wouldn't even let her put both of their names on the deed to the home. And that always upset Betsy. She also told the police that Russ was verbally abusive, that they had been separated six to seven times over their roughly 12 years of marriage, and that Betsy was getting ready to leave Russ.
1: Now, is there merit to
0: this? Why don't you listen to her whole story first? Oh. She has much more to say. Okay, well. It's just the tip of the iceberg. This is just the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Pam likes to talk. Pam proceeded to tell the investigators that she stayed at Betsy's mom's house while Pam finished up a board game with the family, and then they left a little after 6 p.m. Pam said that she called her husband after they had pulled into Betsy's driveway to let him know they had gotten there safely because Pam didn't drive at night that often. Her husband... Hadn't answered the call because he left his phone in his truck that night, but Pam left a message, she said, with Betsy in the background saying happy holidays. Pam told the police that when they got there, Russ's car was in the driveway and that the lights were off in the home. So now she's putting Russ there around 6 p.m. Which he was between Right. Between 6 and, I guess, 6.30 p.m. She's putting Russ there, which he says he was at game night and has four witnesses saying he was, too. The police asked Pam if she had entered the home at all, and Pam told them that she had not. Pam said that she walked Betsy to the door to make sure she got there safely and turned on the lights. Pam told them that she went inside to make sure she could find the lights, and that Betsy turned on the living room light and called for Russ, but he did not answer. When the police said, so you did go inside, Pam says... Yeah, and that she walked through the house and turned on the living room light and went and turned on the kitchen light. So she contradicts her previous statement about, one, not going in, and two, Betsy turning on the lights. She's got two stories going on. Inconsistent from the start. Yes. Okay. Pam said she was in the home for about mm, 10 to 15 minutes, and then she changes it, and it could be like 20. So she said that she called her husband again when she got to the car. Police asked where she was when she placed that second call to her husband, and Pam starts to backtrack and tells the police, um, well, wait, I may not have called him. I think I called Betsy when I got home. Yes, that's it. She said that she called Betsy again to check on her, but she didn't answer, so she called Betsy's mom because she was worried about her and knew she had not been feeling well due to the chemo. Is there more? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so here's the calls that Betsy made at 7.04 p.m. She made a call to her husband, which he didn't answer. And there was a voicemail, which the police didn't check. And Seriously? It, yep. but it's later deleted. So. Why would you? Oh, my God. So we don't even know if, if Betsy was really in the background saying anything about happy holidays. I have no, no clue.
1: Officers are already making me mad with mm-hmm. this.
0: <laughs> oh, Yeah. 7.27 p.m., a call to Betsy. At this point, Pam says she is still on the road, um, but in Troy still, so close to Betsy's home when she makes this call at 7.27 p.m. And then at 8.52 p.m., she makes a call to Betsy's mom. So those were three confirmed calls she did make on her phone.
1: But no one actually spoke to her? <laughs> to Betsy? Right.
0: Betsy's dead. Oh, at this and point? And they used her, she used her phone? No, no, no. This was um, Pam's phone. They checked Pam's calls. Okay. So Pam called. So they could clearly see that Pam did make an outgoing call to her husband. She made an outgoing call to Betsy. And then she made an outgoing call to Betsy's mom.
1: Okay. And so obviously.
0: Husband didn't answer because there was a voicemail. Betsy obviously didn't answer because she had been murdered. And what about her mom? The mom did answer so we'll get into that one but first pam also told the investigators that when she left betsy's betsy had been sitting on the couch with a blanket wrapped around her so pam is literally the last one to see her and to see her in the last place she was known to be before her murder around the time she was probably murdered Hmm. Very interesting.
1: Is she a <laughs> suspect at this point?
0: Uh, oh, absolutely not. Pam told them that Betsy was telling her the other week that she, Betsy, was trying to send Pam something and had a document prepared on her computer but was afraid to email it because Russ was checking her emails. Oh. The police asked what was in the document and Pam told them it was about a new game Russ was playing with Betsy where he would put a pillow over her face to show her what it was like to suffocate and die. What that doesn't even sound <laughs> no real <laughs> no the stuff she says you're gonna you're gonna think the police have to see right through this but if they have their mindset on a suspect doesn't matter how ridiculous this lady speaks God. they're still not gonna realize what's going on and that's not fair because just, not.
1: you can't just assume the very first person that you assume committed this crime
0: right. is the right person. Right. I mean, there is like statistics that say it's most likely to be the spouse, but it's not always the spouse. You have to look at everything.
1: Absolutely. Especially the person who last saw her.
0: Yeah, Hmm. exactly. And who keeps giving some like contradicting information to the police. (laughs) Inconsistent testimony. Uh Uh-huh. When the police asked if Betsy indicated if she was scared by this, Pam said, oh yeah, she wanted a divorce. During the interview with the investigators, Pam got a call from her brother about meeting up with him. And Pam tells him that she can't leave right now because something had happened to her friend last night. Keep in mind that the police had not told Pam when Betsy had been murdered. For all she knew, it could have been that morning. Pam. This is true. (laughs) Right? This is true. She's
1: assuming some
0: things Mm -hmm. at this point.
1: I wonder why.
0: (laughs) Pam also told them that Russ had an insurance policy out on Betsy, and that was concerning because he was the sole beneficiary on the policy. Pam said that Russ would tell Betsy about what he would buy if he had money, and that Betsy would catch Russ staring at her for no reason. Maybe he just thought she was beautiful. That's usually what happens, right? He was just like, look at my beautiful bride. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's... Unheard of. No. Or maybe this is just all made up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I wonder. That's probably more likely. Fabricated. Mm, Hmm. Maybe. Pam said that she suggested to Betsy that she change the beneficiary of her life insurance policy to her mother, but that Betsy said she didn't think her mother would handle the money properly and that her daughters would probably spend it too quickly. So she asked Pam if she would be her beneficiary to make sure the money went to her daughter's and that they would have it when they needed it. Oh my God! And this Pam, is such a Pam, being the best friend that she is, was like, "Well, okay. If of I... course, if I have, if I must. How much is it for?"
1: <laughs> like, I'll gladly take your money when you pass away. <laughs> <All>
0: right? <laughs> I'll just be that good friend. I know. Yes. Whatever. Whatever I need to do. So Betsy told her that it was for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That's not that much. So, oh yeah, cause I'm sure, she was like, I, uh, she was loaded, as she told the police. So no money issues there, which is a lot. But, Pam was loaded. Oh, she told the police she was. I have I have 25,000 in my checking right now if you want to check. She kept talking, and I think the police, they had to have zoned out at one point. You I mean, know? when
1: someone's talking to you for three hours straight. Yeah. Like,
0: <laughs> Even police have to be like, they're humans. They got to be like, this chick, oh, enough. She's talking too much. So like, she's talking in circles, yes. and she's
1: contradicting herself. And if you have it on tape, how are these things not noticed?
0: Oh, we wish we
1: knew, Jennifer. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, she was a great friend, decided to become the beneficiary. Yes. Yeah.
0: So she said that shortly after this talk, Betsy asked her to meet up at the public library to have her sign the papers and have the librarian notarize it, making Pam the beneficiary. So motive and opportunity she's right just,
1: there. She's just being a good friend.
0: Uh, sure. <laughs> So police don't even suspect anything, right? There they have it, but they're just basically listening to Pam, who is building a case for the police against Russ. I
1: mean, they already kind of figured he was suspicious anyway.
0: They do. They already have their sights set on him, and she is just feeding into that. She would go on to talk about how the Farias were struggling financially. She also told the police about Pam's previous marriage to Betsy's two daughters' father, and then told them... That he was always around when Betsy needed something fixed and that she would have sex with him on occasion with her ex. So she's just saying all kinds of stuff just to confuse them and and create all these potential suspects or reasons for why somebody would kill her. But not her. No, because she's the best friend. Just care so
1: much oh my gosh but her story is incriminating so many other people doesn't make sense but
0: doesn't make sense that's okay they just kept on recording nodding their heads maybe i don't know the police asked if betsy was scared of anyone and she told them her husband and then said that betsy had planned to divorce russ during their last separation and marry a man she had been seeing but that when that man decided to break it off with betsy she returned to russ for only financial reasons Pam started crying about Betsy's cancer returning, and that the doctor told her she had only three to five years left to live, and that Betsy would wet the bed from the cancer treatments, and that Russ would get mad at her for this. Is any of this true? That's all lies. (laughs) <laughs> Pam is just a compulsive liar. So it's like
1: they weren't going to get divorced. He didn't get mad at her for that stuff. No. And I mean, was they... she even having an affair. <laughs> it
0: says that they had a rough marriage at times, but that they were in a good place and there was no abuse. And he wasn't ever mad at her for anything that would have happened with her cancer treatments. And there's no proof that she, like, wet the bed from the treatments. But if she had, he would not have been mad about it. Yeah. Pam told the police that it may help them to find that letter that she had mentioned Betsy was writing to her. Pam also mentions that Russ banned his stepdaughters from the house and told Betsy not to give them any more money.
1: Huh. This sounds sounds a little bit like Dorothea. (laughs) A good liar. Yeah, reminiscent on that. Like, when the person passes away... You'd get all the money and do
0: whatever you want with it. Mm -hmm. Pam kept giving the police more information about how terrible Russ was and that she was not sure what happened last night when Betsy went to talk to Russ. Then Pam goes on to ask the detectives about Betsy's death and if it had happened that morning. But during the call to her brother, she had told him something had happened last night and just then mentioned last night again. But now she's asking the detectives if it had happened in the morning. So do you think this is her trying to hide her knowledge of the murder to the police, like realizing she may have slipped up? Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's, that's what I think, she's too. She was trying to backtrack again. She was like, oh, so was it, oh, wait, wait, now was it it's this like morning? I'm not supposed to know when this Yeah, I should know. I, I know
1: nothing. <laughs> I was there, you know, when... She was
0: alive. I left. Yeah. she was alive on the couch. The investigators told her they couldn't release that information at this time pam then tells the police that betsy was taking a drink from a gatorade bottle a few weeks before the holidays but it had tasted weird and she had asked pam to take a sip but pam declined and told her it smelled funny and looked cloudy so betsy poured it out was she being poisoned? She's just throwing all this stuff just to see what sticks. That's my guess. And
1: there's no proof of this. Like, where's the Gatorade? No. And, you know, where are the traces of the, the supposed right. poison or the cloudy material? I mean, well,
0: it's... she said that Betsy had told her that Russ had bought the Gatorade for her to help her with electrolyte levels after chemo treatment. Again, putting Russ there as, oh, he's maybe trying to poison her. He's just trying any way to kill her. Well, he's tried many times, according to her. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Another interesting thing Pam says during the interview is, if I really, and I hate to say it, wanted money, my mom's worth half a million that I get when she dies. (laughs) If I really wanted money, there was an easier way than trying to combat somebody that's physically stronger than me. What
1: (laughs) a strange thing to say. Is that not a strange thing
0: to say? Well, if I'm going to kill somebody, it wouldn't be her. It'd be this person. Uh, To the police. To the police. Yes. On on a recorded interview.
1: (laughs) I don't even know what to say to that. That just
0: totally... I don't know if the police know what to say to that either. They may have nodded off at this point. I think so,
1: yeah. They were probably like hearing the Charlie Brown teacher. Yeah, wah, wah,
0: wah, wah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then when the recorder clicked and stopped, they woke up. They're like, oh, it's time to go, I guess. It's been three hours. We need a new tape. Well, they did come back a few hours later to obtain Pam's permission to search her cell phone, see the clothes she was wearing, which of course now she would have time to wash them, guys and take pictures of her face, neck, and arms. They didn't note any strange marks on her. The police came back a third time and interviewed her husband, Pam's husband, but they failed to search his phone and hear the voice message, which was already deleted. And they didn't find that suspicious at Uh, all? uh, Oh, of course not. Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, who deletes their voicemails, like, (laughs) after a police... Interrogation,
0: Exactly. And they also forgot to ask the husband, so what was your wife wearing when she got home? Didn't didn't do any of that. And during the entire interview with Pam's husband, she stayed in the room. And she basically commandeered the interview with the husband. Mm. And he didn't say anything further. He said, like, a few things to the police. And then she just jumped right in and started talking and talking and talking. Isn't that where the police should separate them and take control of the interview? Uh, Because
1: that's what they're doing.
0: (laughs) Isn't it like police interrogation? 101 or police interview 101 like you don't put all these people in the room together you interview them separately and if you
1: notice that someone is kind of taking lead Uh, yeah that's suspicious when you've already talked
0: to them for three hours (laughs) (laughs) yeah they're like here we go again I'm glad we got another tape <laughs> that's when they just zone out again mm-hmm. so pam is the one who keeps answering the questions and then adds that she had been to betsy's mom's home that day and that one of her daughters forgot to tell the police that russ would wake them up by throwing cold water on them and would drag them out of their beds oh
1: my god she is just making him out She's to be them the up. worst maybe they were teenagers person.
0: maybe they needed just a little bit of cold water to wake them up ice bath ice baths are good for you <laughs>
1: according I, to I, you well, i
0: welcome from the ice baths i know please. you do <laughs> so this could be just her making more stuff up or it could be some you know stepdaughters being upset about things but it sounds like there wasn't really any abuse if you ask her but according to pam there was there's a different story yes they asked pam if she would agree to take a polygraph on december 30th but the test gets delayed because she said she wants her attorney there And then she says she is not sure she can even take a polygraph test because of a fall she had taken that injured her head and due to medication she was on since now she was prone to seizures. Here
1: we go. (laughs) Here we go. Now the excuses are coming. Here they
0: come. Well, she is told to provide a note from her doctor. So three weeks later, on January 25th of 2012, Pam provided a note from her doctor that read, To whom it may concern, Pam Hupp is unable to undergo a polygraph due to her medical condition. This was discussed with Pam when she was last seen in the office on January 3, 2012. Sincerely, Dr. Ronald Fisher. Later, the police discover that Pam had written a letter to her doctor which stated, Dear Dr. Fisher, could you please write Detective Kaiser a letter stating that I was not able to do my polygraph due to medical reasons. Don't need any more detail than that. (laughs) Thank you, Pam Hupp. Call if you need questions. (laughs) And he did that. And Dr. Fisher would later state in a deposition that he was not aware of any medical reasons why Pam couldn't participate in a polygraph. What? But he wrote that. So
1: what? Uh, I was gonna say, either she wrote this
0: letter herself. No, her doctor wrote it. She's a master manipulator. Clearly, just yep. you know, oh, don't you don't need to include anything. But Dr. Else. Fisher was like, oh, this is the three-hour lady that comes in and talks. No, she can just have any note she wants to keep her out of the office. <laughs> That's
1: kind of what it seems like. It's like just let her. Just let her do her thing. And yeah. He's like, what she'll... do I need
0: to do to keep her away? Exactly. A letter? You'd think he would be scared to write a letter like that without... To the authorities. I oh, don't know. This so town. Was he a little janky too? Might have been. Seems like it. Well, there's some things that happened in this town that you're going to be disappointed with. Oh, great. I haven't even gotten to the part where you're going to be like super We haven't angry. even gotten to like who did it yet. <laughs> no, we don't even know. <laughs> okay, let's get into the interrogation of Russ, shall we? So Russ was taken to the police station and interrogated for 40 hours. The investigators pressed Russ to admit to the murder of his wife for insurance money, but Russ maintained his innocence. When asked about his marriage, Russ told them that they had had their ups and downs, but were in a good place currently. Russ's four friends from game night confirmed his attendance that night and said that they had never seen Russ violent or angry enough to kill his wife investigators spoke to Leah, Betsy's daughter, and determined that Betsy was still alive around 7 p.m. the night of her murder because Leah had made a call to her mother from a cell phone store. I think she was trying to upgrade her plan or something like that. So she had to call her mom. Okay. And she said that her mother was getting a ride home from Pam and had answered the phone the first time. And then Leah said that she would call her back later, but Betsy would never answer the calls Leah made after that. When police checked Leah's phone, they confirmed the unanswered calls from 721, 726, and 730 p.m. that night. More confirmation that Betsy was most likely killed long before Russ even got home.
1: Right. Solidifies his alibi once again. Yes. And you know, the the longer the interrogation goes on, that's another tactic they use to kind of wear you down. So they're hoping, like, 40 hours have passed. He's going to crack.
0: Yeah. And they got frustrated, too, that he wouldn't crack. They really did. I wonder if maybe because he didn't do it. Exactly. He was like, I really didn't kill my wife. But nobody believed him and the police station. So Leah told the police that things were not good between Russ and her mother. When Janet, Betsy's mom, was interviewed, she told the police that she got a call from Pam the night of Betsy's murder and that Pam had told her that she had not gone into Betsy's home after dropping her off that night because the lights were off. Oh. So this clearly contradicts what Pam told the police, which was that, well, first, that she wasn't at home. Second, that she was in the home. And then she was there for like, oh, 10 to 15 minutes, but maybe 20. I don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: So lies. But we don't revisit
0: this. It could be that head injury she made up. We don't know.
1: (laughs) No proof of that either.
0: (laughs) Well, if you ask Dr. Fisher, there could be proof.
1: (laughs) It's like, yes, we'll find, we'll find one
0: for you. If you have the way. right doctor, there's always proof. <laughs> Police also found out that Mariah, Betsy's other daughter from her first marriage, had found a suicide note one time on Betsy's pillow after her first cancer diagnosis. And that Betsy may have received some mental health treatment after Mariah showed that note to her stepdad.
1: So she did write a suicide note
0: at one point. She did. Yes. And then it's stated that she probably did receive some mental health treatment. And and Mariah did tell the police that her mother had been happier lately and she was actually making plans for the future. And they were even planning a cruise together because Betsy had had breast cancer, had a double mastectomy. And then the cancer came back and it came back in her liver. So when it did come back, they said it was terminal. But it sounded like she was actually in a better place with the second diagnosis because that's... I mean, she was making plans for the future.
1: She was like, I'm not going to let this, you yeah. know, bring me
0: down. I'm going
1: to fight and live my life.
0: Yeah. Good. So they also did contact Betsy's two older daughter's biological father. And he was quickly cleared as a suspect since he was in Florida at the time of Betsy's murder with his new wife and children. And he was also partially paralyzed and suffering from lupus. So he probably wasn't rushing up there. To commit a murder. Yeah. So he was cleared. Okay. Good. All right, let's get into the arrest.
1: But there's no confession or anything, so they arrest him. That doesn't matter.
0: Pam says, Jennifer.
1: God, Pam sucks. <laughs>
0: Russ was arrested and charged with one count of first-degree murder, which alleged that he had knowingly caused his wife's death by stabbing her over 25 times. Wow. And one count of armed criminal action, alleging that he committed murder armed with a deadly weapon. His bond was set at $1 million. $1 million. Yeah. He was discouraged. Dang. 25 times? Well, it ends up being more than that. We don't know why it was listed as 25, because she, she was actually stabbed over 55 times. What? We'll get into those details. Russ's okay. cousin, Mary, reached out to her old boss, attorney Joel Schwartz, regarding representing Russ... Mary swore to Joel that there was no way her cousin could have killed his wife. Mary also said that Joel should look more closely at Betsy's best friend, Pam Hupp. I'm glad somebody. Oh, Mary. Knows. Mary was like, hold on. <laughs> this chick, something shady about her. Mary believed that Pam was acting suspicious during the funeral and seemed to be attempting to create suspicion about Russ, which she obviously was doing with the police as well. Yeah schwartz went to see russ at jail and told him that he shouldn't say anything else to the police as schwartz began to look through the evidence the police had against russ he noted some major contradictions in the recorded interviews pam gave with the detectives as we mentioned he also looked through the 14 page autopsy report that was conducted at 1 p.m december 28th fifteen and a half hours after russ had found her body He saw that Betsy had been stabbed over 55 times. The detectives had told Russ it was 25. Why would they do that? I don't know. I don't know. What's the point of being, like, bringing it down? I don't know. Maybe they're just really bad police officers.
1: (laughs) Well, we're not impressed at
0: all. (laughs) I don't know what that tactic was about. There were 10 wounds to her neck with a knife protruding from one of the gaping wounds that was five and a half inches deep. There were three wounds to her scalp, a slit-like stab to her eyelid, two wounds to the left ear, three to the left shoulder, five to the left and upper back part of her chest, seven wounds to her abdomen, including two that were six inches deep and penetrated her liver. So she thinks stabbed Everywhere. Everywhere. Yes. Um, One wound to the left bicep that extended through to her chest and punctured her left lung. Two wounds to the back. One through the right bicep. Ten to the right arm and fingers. And it cut through like tendons and blood vessels, everything. This just sounds so painful. Yes. And nine wounds to the upper left arm and seven to the left forearm and hand and one to the upper left thigh. The stabs to the chest, neck, and abdomen were the cause of her death. Blood test only showed some Benadryl, but a like very low level, so it could have been like Benadryl for allergies or to help get some sleep at night, but it wasn't at like a high level.
1: Okay, so it just seems
0: like maybe she took Exactly. There was a note about the cancer nodules in her liver, too. Schwartz listened to the police call and found that it didn't seem excessive since he had just come home and found his wife's bloody body on the living room floor. He also didn't think that it was strange or incriminating for Russ to assume his wife committed suicide, considering the huge wound in her right forearm, her previous talk of suicide, and recent diagnosis of terminal cancer. It was actually pretty absurd to assume that after Russ had brutally stabbed his wife over 55 times, he would assume the police would buy a suicide story he made up. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't even make any sense,
1: because he sees her, he only knew of two wounds at that point right and to say it, it looks like she committed suicide and then for the autopsy to show she was 50, stabbed yes. that many times and
0: he wasn't a stupid guy so why would you even believe that he would think the police would believe a story like that it just there's no way he would have no he would have been like it's an intruder or whatever right but ask pam <laughs> well if you ask pam about it <laughs> he
1: definitely did it yes
0: So Russ's trial began in June of 2012. Judge Christina Menemeyer oversaw the trial. She had no previous experience in the courtroom in criminal trials and was a childhood friend of Leah Askey, the state's prosecutor. Oh, okay. Hmm. Well, this is convenient. Shouldn't you recuse yourself? that would be like if you were the judge and I was the prosecutor, and I'm like, huh, Jennifer. This is, yeah, <laughs> like, like, that's no, going to be a bias trial. That is not trial. ethical. No. Yeah, exactly. They knew better. Can we say prejudicial?
1: <laughs> yes, prejudicial.
0: 100%. Let's just see how Judge Menemeyer handles this. One thing she did was she granted the state's motion to suppress any talk about the life insurance at all. Why?
1: That's so stupid. Why?
0: Well, you know, and Joel was like, that's ridiculous. That's one of the basis of his claim that Pam had motive. But he's thinking, okay, well, if it's suppressed all around, they also can't bring up that Russ had, his name was on some other insurance policies. So, okay, he's like, I'll work with that. Additionally, the judge did not let Schwartz present any evidence that would indicate Pam Hupp as an alternative suspect in Betsy's murder. That means nothing that would cast Pam in a negative light with the jurors. So, I mean... So he's like, oh, shit, what am I going to do? Like, my two main defenses, and I can't talk about either. He basically has the Arby's receipt. Obviously, he has Russ's four friends. That's it. He still may be in good standing, but I mean, as a defense attorney, that's got to make you really nervous to oh, have of just two of your major defenses just snatched from you. Yeah. I mean, there's... <sighs> Just so much
1: incriminating stuff against Pam, and for none of that to be allowed for the jury to hear.
0: He was pissed. In the book, he talks about how infuriated he was. The judge judge was awful. For those two things already. Yeah, you can tell that she is leaning towards the state. The state, yeah. Mm -hmm. So as the trial proceeded, Schwartz asked for a sidebar with the judge and Askey regarding the state calling up a witness one of the investigators to testify about how russ was the beneficiary of pam's life insurance policy wait what yeah wasn't that just ruled on back in chambers and she said okay no we're going to suppress everything every talk about insurance policies right and no insurance talk but the state don't... wants to bring up one of their witnesses about russ being on the insurance policy and so what does Menemeyer say about that
1: does she grant that? Of
0: course she does. Oh, my God. Of course she does. Yes. Oh, my God. She's like, well, you know, Pam, it's it's different because Pam's not even a suspect in this. So, of course, we're not going to talk about Pam being in one of the beneficiaries. But
1: that's not the point. I know.
0: I know. You're mad, right? I uh, was like, you're going to be so mad at this part. I was so mad about this. So frustrating. Yeah. It's like,
1: it's just, there's nothing he can do.
0: No, there's nothing. He literally just got totally screwed on his defense. So now keep in mind, Schwartz still wasn't able to speak about Pam being the beneficiary of one of Betsy's other policies, the one for 150000 that was just recently switched over to Pam. Another miscarriage of justice during this trial was the fact that the state had told Schwartz that the camera they used to take shots of the luminol test malfunctioned. And they didn't get any pictures. But during trial, the state had testimony that blood had been seen during the testing in the sink, indicating that Russ had washed himself off after the murder. But they just didn't have any pictures. But he saw it while he was investigating with the luminol. But yeah, the caramel function, so we don't have proof. But I saw it with my eyes. You're not going to see it as evidence. So that could just be made up. And it was. I mean, and it was made up. But I mean, the jury doesn't. Jury doesn't know, right? And this is where the judge should say, "No, that can't. We can't let that in." And of course, he Schwartz objected. But the judge, no, everything's good. Everything's like, good. No,
1: she knows what she's doing. The state, oh, yeah. the state knows what they're doing. No.
0: <laughs> that's uh, that's my bestie over there. You go. going to let them do go, what they Leah. want. Ugh. <laughs> So the state's closing argument to the jurors was that Russ had murdered his wife naked, wearing only his house slippers. Okay.
1: <laughs> I I don't even know what to say at this point. So... <laughs>
0: Just in, in it they, like like, they all and she also suggested that Russ actually violated her one last time and had sex with her but she wasn't even She's fully clothed yes and fully. there was
1: no trace of her being sexually assaulted
0: basically what she tells the jurors is that his four friends were in on this. And that actually one of his friends helped him by taking his phone over to Arby's, grabbing some food, giving him the receipt and the phone later that night while he was um, raping his wife. Then I guess putting the clothes back on his wife and then murdering his wife all while naked. (laughs) Just
1: wearing his slippers.
0: (laughs) Just the slippers. Then he goes and cleans up everything, right? Puts the slippers in the closet, puts his clothes back on from earlier that day. Because he's wearing the same clothes he's worn all day. Calls the police and he does this, she said, during a longer span of time because he he was helped by some friends. So imagine the friends who are in the courtroom, his four friends from game night that are like, you're just trying to implicate me in a murder. Yeah. Do they testify? I mean, they had testified during the trial, but one of the things she said was that their stories just match up too good. And they're like, well, when you don't lie... <laughs> You don't have to think up stuff. It's just, this is what it is. We played this game and then, you know, we drank this and this and then he left it this time. So- that's very suspicious. I know. You know a little too much about what you did. It's just, it all matches up well. I don't like that. It needs
1: to be more like Pam and her like, <laughs> backtracking. Now, and... Pam,
0: that's who we're going to listen to. <laughs> oh,
1: that, this is just, uh, it's infuriating. Yeah. So, uh, and I can't even imagine being that defense attorney. Oh
0: my gosh. Obviously, this whole trial, he was so discouraged, but he's a very good attorney. He gave a great closing argument about, you can't just take all of these made up things that the state saying oh it could have been this and he could have driven with his phone and there's no proof he said you have to look at the evidence and the evidence showed that he did stop and he got sandwiches and there's proof of that and he wasn't there when she died and so he did a good closing argument but unfortunately
1: there's like there's so much reasonable doubt Yes, so
0: much i know and one of the things that the state prosecutor said i wish i remembered it. it was in the book but she was talking she totally tried to twist it to the jurors about well you know if there's reasonable uh oh, what did she say it was like If there's
1: reasonable doubt, then there's reasonable, like it's reasonable that it did happen as well. Yes.
0: But the way she said it sounded like if you're a juror and you know nothing about the justice system, you could have been like, well, it could have happened if it was like reasonable to assume. It was like, if it's reasonable to assume this happened. Yeah. She she twisted it to their advantage, unfortunately. So the jurors took only five hours to deliberate. Russ was convicted of the murder of his wife in November of 2012 and sentenced to life plus 30 years. Schwartz filed an appeal of the judge's decision and requested a new trial. The whole trial just sounds so corrupt. the, The judge and the prosecutor just make me really, really mad. And the investigation.
1: All everything everything is so frustrating.
0: Everything's against Russ. Poor Russ was just like at a game night and comes home and then his life is completely changed forever. Loses his wife and then he is, and the murder's pinned on him. And who does he have to thank for that? Well, a bit of it goes to Pam, of course. Quite
1: a bit. I mean, it seems like she definitely was throwing all the angles out there for them. Very
0: manipulative, yeah. How does this play out? Okay, well... In 2013, Dateline got a hold of this story and did an exclusive on it called The Thing About Pam. And were they like... Oh, they were like, there's something about this chick that ain't right. Those investigative reporters really dig in and they were suspicious about Pam. I'm glad. I'm glad glad somebody
1: decided to look at this and was like, this
0: makes no sense. Dateline's got this. Yeah. So this really upset Pam because she was getting a lot of negative press now from the Dateline special poor Pam. So sad. Go
1: cry <laughs> about it.
0: But she wouldn't give any interviews. She thought it would just all go away. And she was trying to ignore it. But oh, no, daylight isn't going to go away.
1: Look, when the more you avoid it, the more guilty you look. Exactly. Okay. And they
0: were like, just, hey, come speak to us. Let us know your side. So that way we can report about it. And she was like, nope, 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 nope. Then on October 31st, 2013, October 31st, my favorite day, Halloween. So this was on Halloween. So on Halloween, In 2013, 77-year-old Shirley Newman, Pam Hupp's mother, was found dead underneath the balcony of her home at the Lakeview Park Senior Living Community. Wait, the
1: the same mother that she said, if I I wanted to kill somebody.
0: I am glad you remembered that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh. Yes, pin that. Oh, it's pinned. We'll we'll come back to that. Consider it pinned. Yep. It was assumed that she must have lost her balance and fell through the railings to the ground. The medical examiner's report showed eight times the usual dosage of a sedative in her system. I think it was Ambien. Still, her death was ruled an accident.
1: Eight times? Come on now. I
0: know. Even though she had been with Pam the night before, and upon dropping her mother off at the retirement home, Pam told the staff not to expect her mother down for dinner that evening or for breakfast. She was like, check on her around noon tomorrow. She's really tired from all that Ambien I gave her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and she here she is again at the scene of the crime. Pam was the last person to be with her mother, the last person to see her mother alive. And remember that chilling thing that you pinned? Yeah. Yeah. She said that if she was going to kill somebody, who was it? Her it would, mother. Her mother, right. To get her insurance money? Yes. It was like half a million. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but she's loaded so it
0: wouldn't i mean it doesn't affect her. i mean she has so much money coming in from everything she would tell people she's like oh yes we're doing house flipping and this and we have so much money i don't even need money i mean money could be coming from ever it rains on pam it rains money <laughs> and
1: here here we are with the charlie brown voice again wah, 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh god yes tell me again how how much money you how have How much
0: money do you have again okay yeah no Those are the ones that usually don't if they're like, I have so much money.
1: I know. Those that are like bragging to you about it. Yes, exactly. It's like, please, we don't care. Mm
0: -mm. Pam was one to talk and talk and talk. We can see that. (laughs) Roughly two months later, in December of 2013, Judge Menemeyer denied the request for a new trial. So she waited a year. To deny it, which is oh really God. is ridiculous, because he he's wait? sitting in jail this entire time. You can make your ruling quicker.
1: Yes, it seems like she was. I don't know what she had going
0: on um, or how quickly that judicial system moves, but and it was a small town. I don't know how many murder cases they had specifically or how. I mean, it wasn't the pandemic. It's not like there was any excuse like that. But for a year to go by, I don't know if that's it. Kind of seems like town. seems like a while. Like, like that was her intent to just wait. I'm on sure, it. I'll just sit on this because I don't care.
1: Like, my ruling. Leah, can you catch lunch this weekend? Okay. Let's talk about how. And then she'll. they're probably talking about the motion, too. Oh, I'm sure. And yeah. talking about how they're not going to address it until yeah. a year later.
0: <laughs> Just sit on it for a while. After Schwartz's appeal was accepted in 2015, Menemeyer recused herself from the retrial. Thank God. In the months following, multiple other cases overseen by Menemeyer were overturned by the Court of Appeals. Oh, well, that's Uh interesting. Wow. We are happy about the Court of Appeals. Yeah. Good for them.
1: That must mean there was some uh, either corruption or she just didn't know what she was doing.
0: So they had actually found out in January of 2017, the Supreme Court of Missouri found that she had violated the Judicial Code of Ethics.
1: How? By being besties with everybody Um, and ruling in in their favor? (laughs) Possibly. I don't
0: know. (laughs) Maybe that was a little bit of it. (laughs) She was given six months suspension. Oh, okay. Is she, so I guess she's back on that bench. Hold on. Don't skip ahead. <laughs> okay. During the retrial, Schwartz was able to present his evidence and also obtained copies of the luminal photos, which showed absolutely no blood spatter from a cleanup in the kitchen or the bathroom.
1: And these were the photos that were suppressed.
0: Oh, no, the photos that they said didn't even exist. Remember the camera malfunctioned? And now
1: they're magically back.
0: The one where Renee Zellweger is starring, they show one of the DAs sending the photos to the defense attorney. Huh. So like it was, um, they didn't want to participate in the corruption, so they anonymously sent him the photos. Oh. I don't know if that's what actually happened. I I could believe it, though.
1: Yeah. Considering how, how this has been going. Yeah.
0: Askey, again serving as the state's prosecutor for the retrial, did not call Pam to the stand to testify, and neither did Schwartz. Russ Faria was acquitted of the murder charges. That is amazing. Is amazing. Right? But he had to
1: serve three years.
0: And I think he actually served close to four, they said, oh. in like total, you know, with his initial arrest and everything.
1: But but he he's, is out now. He's out now. That's That's amazing. Right.
0: Uh, so the, he didn't do it. No. The elections that followed in August of 2018 saw both Menemeyer and Askey voted out of office. Oh, uh-huh. by now. <laughs> well, that's fabulous. <laughs> let's clean out the corruption a little bit. Thank goodness. This is why you should vote. That's right. We can change right. things little by little. But let's back up a couple years and go back to 2016, Jennifer. Okay. All right. We're, we're so going back. So this is back in 2016 after he was exonerated. Okay. Betsy's daughters had filed a civil suit against Pam to try and get the insurance money from her. It was money that was rightfully theirs. And Pam had set up a trust around the time of the first trial, but then emptied it into her own checking account after Russ was convicted.
1: This is all my money now.
0: Oh, right. She was like, well, I guess they don't need it. Now that their dad's in jail and can't help support them, I'll just take their money too. God.
1: Yes. I mean, at that point, I'm sure the family is like, this woman's got Our mom's money. Mm -hmm. They probably suspect her at this
0: point. Some of them do. Yeah. Now that Russ was free, Pam was told that an investigation could be opened up against her. Unfortunately, Betsy's daughters would not win the civil suit. But meanwhile, things were heating up for Pam in the media. Thanks to Dateline, it didn't look good that Russ was exonerated and that she had kept the insurance money instead of giving it to Betsy's daughters like she said she was going to do. Exactly. So how are you going to look in the media? I mean, first of all... And you're not talking to them. No, you're not talking to them. And then this whole time you said, I'm going to set up a trust for the daughter. She wanted the money to go to the daughters. That's what we're going to do. And as soon as he's convicted, you just dump that money into your checking. And I think she went and got a facelift or something. What an awful human being. Seriously, she murders her best friend and then goes and gets a facelift with the money that was supposed to go to her friend's daughter i just
1: i can't even imagine
0: like uh, I'm, this whole time i'm trying to
1: imagine what kind of friend she was to her well these what 11 years that yeah, they knew each other yeah
0: for a long time I'm like, like fake the whole
1: time she's waiting for her to pass away
0: and oh you're not since dying quick it. enough so i'll just take care of it myself yeah mm-hmm.
1: wow you got to be
0: careful who your friends with you guys. do that's I'm, my only friend is you that's it <laughs>
1: I know, it's like... No new friend requests. Can't, request. can't nope. trust anybody. No, no. <laughs> oh, God.
0: Now let's talk about Lewis Gumpenberger. Gumpenberger, yes. Gumpenberger, okay. Uh, that's that's the name. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call him Lewis. <laughs> yeah. On August 16th of 2016, police were called regarding a home invasion. When police arrived at the home, they found 33-year-old Lewis Gumpenberger dead. He had been shot at least twice. And guess who was holding the gun? Pam Hupp. So she murdered someone. On the 911 call, she makes a bunch of very stage-sounding, oh, no, get away from me. What? What What do you want from me? Is this her home? No, wa- this is her home, yes. Okay. And then she's like, please, hurry, come quick. He tried to get into my car. Oh, now he's in my house. I'm running around my Like, it was very stage-sounding. When the 911 operator would ask her something, she still stuck to her little script that she was doing. They heard five shots, and so... Yeah, because she- you're
1: not going to, like, when... When you're in a moment like that, you're not going to yell what you're doing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm walking into my house. Oh, no, here comes the assailant. (laughs) Exactly. You're going to try to figure out how to survive and get away. Yeah, it sounded very staged to the 911 operator, it sounds like. And when the police went and listened back to it, what they discovered when they did the investigation was $900 in Lewis's pocket and a note that read, take Hupp back to the house and get rid of her there were further instructions that told him to kill pam like betsy had been murdered and get russ's money from the bank the police weren't convinced and upon review of the money in lewis's pocket it was discovered later that pam had a hundred dollar bill that was one in a sequence of four bills So three of them were in Lewis's pocket, and one was in Pam's. So this was all planned. It sounds like she had given him some money because she had a four hundred dollars in a sequence in hundred dollar bills, and she had one in her wallet. And then he had the other three were part of the nine hundred dollars in his pocket. And what are the odds of that? If this is going to be like a home invasion? Oh yeah, right. I'm just gonna take three hundred of your four, ma'am, and (laughs) put that in my pocket. No, police weren't buying it. Glad someone this noticed. This was a better investigation. So Pam was also in Lewis's area about 45 minutes prior to the reported home invasion. In addition... A man and a woman had reported a lady claiming to work for Dateline, approached them a few days before this murder, and asked for a soundbite for an episode concerning 911 calls and offered them $1,000. What? It sounds like what she did was found Lewis, told him she was from Dateline, and she needed some clips for a 911 call. So he was going to be the assailant, and she was going to pretend to be the one getting attacked. Oh. Yes. So that's what she did. convinced this random guy it should be known that he was suffering from mental and physical disability from a car accident he had been in so he may not have been in the best mental state to realize her intentions because the other man and woman were like I don't know about this chick. Sounds sketchy. It sounds sketchy and so the man and the woman had declined and left but unfortunately Lewis who only I guess would go outside to walk on occasion because of his disability now he was only 33 living with his mother.
1: So she clearly takes advantage of people oh. who
0: like, yeah. are in those kind of circumstances. Right. So in 2019, Hupp entered an Alford plea in Lewis Gumpenberger's death. So an Alford plea, for those that don't know, is where the accused doesn't admit to guilt, but acknowledges that there is enough evidence to be convicted during a trial. She was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Good.
1: <laughs> Stamp of approval from Jennifer. Good. Mm-hmm. I mean... Oh. So and this is after obviously yeah this everything. is in 2019
0: and this so was only the... for his his death only for his but what happens after this is they start to look at the Betsy case again and just last year in July of 2021 Pam Hupp was formally charged with the stabbing death of Betsy Faria. Thank the same, God. Yes, the same prosecutor Mike Wood opened up a police corruption case as well. Oh, go, Mike. Props. Yes. We're clapping. We're clapping for Mm him.
1: Oh, gosh.
0: Thank goodness. An investigation into Pam's mother's death was also reopened, but she has not been formally charged with anything related to her mom's death, and there may not be enough evidence to proceed with charges. She gave her all that Ambien, and she but was she the could, last person to see her. She could say her mom took it. My mom overdosed. Uh, she was suffering from some dementia. She had arthritis, so it was hard for her to sleep. So she could just say, my mom took a big bunch of Ambien on accident, I guess, and was off balance. I mean, shoot, we're young, and we're off balance. I mean, anybody can fall. I don't even take Ambien. <laughs> And we're we're sober and we're off balance. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I guess there's not enough evidence, but... It's good she's already in prison from Lewis's murder. And then she's also been formally charged with Betsy's murder. So that will be a trial to definitely keep your eyes on.
1: Yeah, because the trial hasn't even happened yet. I don't
0: think it's even happened yet, no. Oh, yes. We'll have to stay tuned for that. Yeah. Does Russ... Have anything to so say? So he actually appeared in the courtroom during the civil trial that his stepdaughters had proceeded with against Pam just because he wanted to see her lose. Of course, she didn't lose that. But I kind of have a feeling he'll be sitting there watching this go down.
1: Absolutely. Like,
0: she's the whole reason. Right. It's, happened. It's completely changed his life. He said that he's become a passionate advocate for the wrongfully accused and works with the Midwest Innocence Project since his exoneration. So he's turned it into something good and positive, but he said that it completely changed his life. It ruined his reputation in the community, obviously with police now thinking he was a murderer. But now, I mean, it's kind of out in the open now that there's a corruption case. I hope so. I hope that really helps him have some peace about it
1: yeah and the innocence project they do such great work like, yeah it
0: sounds like he's trying to turn what happened into something good because he said something along the lines of if something bad happens and you don't do anything about it you're part of the problem so he wants to be part of part, the solution yes yeah, part of the solution So would you like to know where Pam is now? Hopefully just rotting. (laughs) (laughs) She is serving life in prison without the possibility of parole for the murder of Louis Gumpenberger. She is now divorced from her husband, Mark Hupp, who still owns the O'Fallon, Missouri home where Louis was shot and killed. There is a Dateline exclusive called The Thing About Pam. And there's also a series out on Hulu called The Thing About Pam right now. And it's season one. It's narrated by Dateline NBC's Keith Morrison. You know Keith Morrison, right? I don't. Was... What? You have to know who <laughs> Keith Morrison is. Who is that? He's got that deep, like, gravelly voice. And he's the, the announcer. And he's like, the truth about Pam is that you never know who your neighbor You don't know that? Nope. <laughs> oh, he's got such a great voice. I'm, I'm not doing it justice, but... You would it know doesn't it sound if you familiar. <laughs> <laughs> of course, mine does it. <laughs> the truth about Pam. <laughs> what about that?
1: No. No. The no. truth
0: about Pam.
1: <laughs> okay, maybe that.
0: Okay, good. All right. <laughs> so that is out, and that is narrated by Morrison and Renee Zellweger. I think she either produced it or, or she was like one of the co-producers, and she actually stars as Pam Hupp. Oh, really? She. She's Pam yes. Hupp. She's Pam okay. Hupp. Josh Dumel is the defense attorney, Schwartz. And Judy Greer plays the state prosecutor, Leah Askey. She's really good in this, too. If you have Josh Dumel play you also, that I think Schwartz was probably very happy with that. Like someone comes to him and like, so we're going to have Josh Duhamel play you. I in, wish I knew realized act- these people were. You don't know who Josh Dumel <laughs> Stop it. He was married to Fergie. Nope. Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> I am so bad with actors and actresses. <laughs> Hold on. You're going to know him. You know him. Look at him. Oh, he's, he was in All My Children. Yeah, he was right. in a soap opera. He's been in a lot of different movies. hes I can't believe you don't know his face. Do you know I his mean, face? He's, he's very tan. Okay. <laughs> what about, do you know, let's see. Do you know Judy Greer? Um, it, it sounds familiar. Stop it.
1: Let me. <laughs> she looks familiar. Right. Um, What has she been in? She was in oh. Halloween. 13 going on 30. 30 okay. Yeah. yeah. She's in all the Halloweens. I should know so her. So you
0: better know her.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's in all of, them, all of, Michael all of the Michael Meyer movies. So. Yes.
0: All of those. Yep. Okay. So those those are three of the people. And she plays the She plays prosecutor. the prosecutor. Yeah. She does a really great job. So you liked the show. I did. I liked it. I don't know what the reviews are. I didn't look at the reviews because I just wanted to watch it and make your own opinion yeah i think renee zellweger is a great actress she did a good job i think it was cast well i'm not sure what the reviews are on it you think it like portrayed really like i did i think it was very close to a lot of the stuff i read in the book gosh i
1: can't i just it's a lot this case (laughs) is a lot it's so frustrating all of it from Mm -hmm. the very beginning it just russ comes home one day from a game night finds his wife stabbed dead thinks she committed suicide And
0: then from there, because he has an alibi, probably he's like, well, I was with my friends. He's not thinking he's going to be a suspect. But they even say, we don't know about those friends. That story, it was a little too good. So they didn't even have to think about it. (laughs) <laughs> Not like Pam, who Not had like to Pam. go on it for hours and she, hours. She was ping-ponging all over the place with her stories. But no, like people who actually have the same story. It sounded made up because they knew it too that well. That makes
1: no sense. Right? That makes no <laughs> sense. It's like, it's like you and I go to Starbucks. We get our drinks. We know exactly what we got. We tell the police We have something. the same
0: story. Like, that story was a little too similar, ladies. That doesn't... Nope. You guys are <laughs> lying. Yep. That's, that's what happened to the friends. And then they accuse them of being accomplices implicated them in the murder of betsy
1: and at that point if i was one of those friends i'd be like there's some corruption immediately happening right now like
0: it sounds like dateline kind of blew the lid on the corruption in that community in the legal i'm uh, glad they got exposed because
1: this is such a horrible case and i hate
0: but they got mike wood now and he's gonna handle some things he's not corrupt it sounds like he is gonna get some justice for betsy's family i hope I hope so. Some good things
1: happened at the end of
0: this. Yeah, but it's a very frustrating case. They interviewed some of the jurors afterwards and were like- After 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 all of this came out? After the conviction the first time and showed them some of the evidence that had been suppressed. And the jurors were like, We would not have convicted this guy if we'd been shown this evidence. It was a
1: lose-lose situation.
0: Absolutely. So what's next for us?
1: Next, we are talking about the comic book killer.
0: But aren't we first ordering dinner? Yes. (laughs) Because we're back-to-back recording today.
1: We are. We're trying to get ahead of the game. Get some episodes
0: in there. So, yes. yes. So comic book killer, that's up next. Um, Ordering some dinner. And anything else?
1: Um, nothing right now. Okay. We'll talk about it in
0: the next Let's one. Let's talk about it in Comic Book Killer. I think we're good on this one. So until yeah. next time, stay caffeinated, get hobbies, and don't murder people. And don't be a bad best friend. Yeah. Don't be don't like am.
1: <laughs> don't call everyone your friend, guys. No.
0: Have one friend. Her name is Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.
1: Bye.